So I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Father, we thank you for this wonderful assembly of the saints, and we appreciate all that you are doing in their lives. And we honor you with our reverence and with an expectation that you can do all things in us and cause us to do all things through Christ. We pray today that you will show us good things, that you will help us, correct us, realign us with your purposes, and give us grace. We thank you for your help in sharing your word. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when I was a student in a Bible school uh, at Ramah, I lived in the student housing, which was a series of uh, flats, you know, or apartment buildings across the street from Ramah. And uh, the woman that was the supervisor, she had uh, one key that would open every door, everybody's flat. And, and that was called the master key. That one key, you know, could take her into every room. And if there is a master key to experiencing God's best blessings and provisions, it is in this verse. Let me say it again. If there is a master key, one key, that will take you to God's best blessings and provisions, it is this verse. So if you practice Matthew 6.33, doors that were previously closed to you will be opened. The principle in this verse will take you to places you didn't even know existed. You know, we have, for example, uh, you know, on the campus here, we have the sanctuary, the office is adjoined, we have uh, the, uh, the, the CK hall, the classroom, the, the, uh, the dormitory guests, and there's a lot of little different rooms here. And see, even as a church member, there's rooms here you don't even know about like my office, you know, and things like that. But, you know, um, there are places in God that you don't even know about. You haven't been there before, you know. But this verse will unlock the door and take you to new places in the Lord. Amen. In Psalm 18 and verse 19, it says, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Because he delighted in me. So I think I can say if you feel confined or squeezed in or hemmed in to a small place in life, like you're fenced in with no room to grow or advance, God can rescue you. He can deliver you from lack. And he can bring you into a spacious place where you can flourish, and where you can experience his abundant provision. And also, if it seems like you're not progressing, you're not developing, you're not moving forward, spiritually and naturally, then listen to this verse. And all these things will be added to you. Not taken away, added to you. Amen? Now, is this just referring only to spiritual things, as some people would have us believe? No, no. It's not talking about spiritual things or exclusively spiritual things. Because if you read Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the necessities of life. You know, what shall we wear? You know, what shall we eat? He's talking about the things that we just need for our daily sustenance. One translation, the Remedy Bible says, and all your needs will be met as well. So if, you, if your needs are not being met, then there's something you need to do. Amen? And obviously complaining is not that thing. Right? Obviously, being worried is not that thing. The whole purpose of Matthew chapter 6 is to tell us, don't be anxious about these things. Don't be worried. Right? If you could get your miracle by being worried, you would have had your miracle five years ago. Obviously, that's not the answer. Amen? However, 
to experience God's best blessings, it requires, I'll call it a paradigm shift. What does that mean? Well, it means a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of looking at things. In the business world, sometimes they call that a paradigm shift. From now on, we must seek first the kingdom. So, so in other words, if you're constantly uh, besieged by lack, then you're not doing this verse because Jesus didn't lie. I said, if you're constantly experiencing lack in every area, then you're not doing this verse. You may think you are, but you're not because Jesus did not tell a lie. He said, if you do this, this will happen. Can I get an amen? That's true. Hallelujah. So the key to success as God defines it, and that also includes financial material increase, the key is to be an ardent, uh, that means determined, and enthusiastic seeker of his kingdom. Determined. Determined means like nothing's going to stop me. Enthusiastic means like there's an excitement, right? Right? Some people seek God like somebody's pushing them, like they don't really want to do it, but, you know, you know I can do all things. You know, they don't really want to sing that, but, you know, they have to. You know, determined and enthusiastic, seeker of his kingdom. Psalm 34, verse 10, in the Passion Translation says, those who passionately pursue the Lord will never lack any good thing. It's the passion translation, so they got to stick that word passion everywhere. But I like that. Those who passionately pursue the Lord. Like, you know, when I was a boy, I went to church every Sunday because my mother forced me. That's not per passionately pursuing the Lord. Right? And some people only come to church when it's their turn to uh, usher or sing or, or play the drum or, 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 or work, you know, in the children's ministry. Or I'm not picking on anybody. But, you know, whenever it's their turn to do something maybe uh, in, the, in the limelight, then they come. That's not really passionately pursuing. The Lord. Some people only pray in church. And everybody laughed. Well, the, the, yeah, because that's not passionately pursuing the Lord. Amen? Now, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And it's been translated into English and uh, Hindi, Nepali, and all these other languages. And the Greek word translated seek in Matthew 6.33, in case you'd like to know, doesn't really matter, but it's the word zeteo. Zeteo. And it, it's very similar to the English word. It means to search for. You know, like this. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you can't find your car keys, you search for it. Probably, right? If you, if you drive a vehicle. You don't just say, oh, well. And you don't accept a substitute. Like, if you're searching for your keys, you don't say, well, I don't know where my keys are, but here's my sofa. That doesn't matter. I don't need a sofa. I need my keys. Most of us, if we woke up tomorrow and we could not find our cell phone, we hit the panic button, right? Red light flashing, warning, warning, danger, danger. Houston, we have a problem, right? We, and we search for it. My wife sometimes these days, like she forgets where she put her phone and she's, she's walking around. And you can talk to her, and she, she's, not, she's in the zone. She's not hearing you, you know. And she'll have me call her number. And somewhere off in the ether, we hear, you know, like Sputnik, you know, way out there in, in, the, in the atmosphere. Right? So, so when you are seeking God's kingdom, it's like you're looking for your lost car keys. You're looking for your missing cell phone. Amen? It also means to pursue. Like when the criminal runs away, the police pursue that person. They're chasing after that person. And, and the word means to aim at, right? So if you, if you aim at something, like if you're, you know, you're shooting a gun or something, or you, know, you, you, you focus on that target only, you can't be looking around all over the place. You have to be focused, right? You're aiming at it. And to strive after, strive after. 
that, 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 it, that suggests that it, that it, it takes some, um, you got to push through some stuff. You have to knock some things out of your way. In other words, it, it may not always be the easiest thing in the world, but it will be the best thing in the world. Now, God is a spirit being. You'll study many of these things in the classes to come. I'll just lightly touch on a few points. But God is a spirit being. Jesus said that in John 4, 24. And his kingdom is an invisible domain. So you cannot contact God with your physical senses. Right? You can't just wave your hand in the air and I don't really feel the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't smell him with your nose or, or, or you can't hear him with your physical ear. And you cannot contact him with human reasoning. That's why sometimes people who are over smart are spiritually retarded. They're highly developed in this area, and they're totally lacking in, the, in another area. But Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So in other words, if you think you're seeking God and you never seem to get there, then you're not doing it the right way. You contact God with your spirit, with your inner man. And you connect with the unseen God by faith. You connect with the unseen God by faith. You must believe in him, and you must believe that he hears you when you pray. I think sometimes people are praying, and in their mind they're wondering, I mean, is anybody even listening to this? Are my words just bouncing off the wall? Maybe I'm just doing this because it's a... I'm a requirement. Maybe I'm just doing this because it's a tradition. Well, see, that's unbelieving prayer. You need to know that there's someone on the other end of that who says, I hear you. Amen? When I talk to people on the cell phone, I don't see them. Right? And sometimes I, I've talked to people, and for a long time they didn't say anything. And I wondered, are you there? Hello? Are you there? Of course, it has happened to me. Has it ever happened to you where actually the, 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 the call got dropped somehow or something happened? And I was talking and talking, and they're gone. They, they haven't been here. They haven't been there for 10 minutes, you know. But, but just because God doesn't say, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, that doesn't mean he's not there. Everybody sit down. Don't get too crazy on me. Hallelujah. Amen. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus would not instruct us to seek for something we could never find. That would be futile. That would be a waste of your time. He wouldn't tell us to search for something that was impossible for us to have. See, you can know God. You can understand his ways. You can learn how to operate in kingdom principles. Hallelujah. And then the word seek also means the Greek word translated seek also means earnestly desire, crave intently. Earnestly, well, earnestly means like really, right? Sincerely, desire. Not just like, well, yeah. No, you really want it. Or, or crave intently, see? So um, many years ago, uh, when my wife was uh, pregnant, uh, she had certain cravings that happens to women, right? She had certain cravings. And one day she told me she wants a mango. And that's fine, but we were living in, in America in the state of Virginia where they don't grow mangoes. And she said, I want a mango. And she made it. She had, a, she had an earnest desire. She had an intense craving. See, I want a mango. So uh, I called on the telephone several like uh, grocery stores, you know, markets, vegetable markets and things like that. And they said, hey, we don't have mangoes here. This, and besides it was wintertime and, you know, it's not even the season or anything like that. We have to ship them. They have to be imported. And she's over there saying, mango. And I said, how about an apple? No, mango. <laughs> and I found, I found one store somewhere, someplace that said, I've got one mango. See, you laugh because, I mean, we have, we have I, live, I live 10 minutes away. We have a tree. Well, we cut it down, didn't we? We had a, we had a mango tree, 
And I mean, mangoes are just falling every day on our heads. We're using mangoes for soccer balls, footballs. I mean, you know, we throw mangoes at each other just for fun. We have mangoes all over the place, right? But this is, this is America. So, so I, I, I went to that grocery store and he had one old mango. This is your grandmother's mango. This is old mango. They found this in Kuten... Tutankhamun's tomb in Egypt and the pyramids. So, and, I, and he wanted this ridiculous amount of money. He wanted like, you know, I don't remember, like $5 or something. You know, he wanted like, you know, a thousand, well, not a thousand, but he wanted like, you know, 500 rupees for one mango. But, you know, she's over there, mango. So, so I had to pay it. I can't come home empty-handed, you know. And so I was so proud of myself because I've only been married a short while, right? I, I, and I came home, da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and she went, chee! <laughs> Man, you really know how to deflate my ego, you know, just... just. <laughs> all right, what's that all about? Because the seed of God's Word has been planted in our hearts. And now, as believers, we have an inward expectation that our hopes will become a reality. If you'll pardon me for saying this, we are pregnant with the promises of God. And therefore, we have spiritual cravings. Not for apples and oranges. We have to worship. See, the, the, man, the man who has believed God's word, the man who's holding on to the promise of God, worship is not a pastime. It's not something we do just to kill the time. I have to worship. I, I, well, we can do something else. No, no, no. I will not accept a substitute. Are you out there today? This is, this is, the, this is the, the characteristics of a true kingdom seeker. Comes real quiet today. Amen? Amen? We can't help thinking about God's presence. It's, it, we're fixated on I have to have that. It's like the air that we breathe. Amen? In Psalm 14 and verse 2, we read, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Now, every newborn emerges from his mother's womb with outstretched hands. You ever notice that? They're born that way. They come out with outstretched hands, grasping for something. And he spends the remainder of his days on earth grasping for something. All men are seekers, but not all are seeking for God. Are you out there today? People don't know it, but they're God-hungry. And that restlessness in them makes one man a philosopher and another a drunkard. But only Christ can satisfy that hole in our hearts. Now today you might say to me, hey, but I'm not lost. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. So I don't need to seek for God. But we don't stop seeking him just because we're saved. I told you that the word seek also means to desire. Well, should we stop desiring God just because we're born again, just because we're saved? No. If anything, we should desire him even more. Hallelujah. And this verse tells me God knows if we're seeking him. He knows what we're seeking after. If you and I are not passionately pursuing Jesus, it's probably because we are passionately pursuing something else. 
I notice when people are not really into Jesus, you know, you know what I mean by that? They're not really excited. They're not really enthusiastic. It's not really, it's not, it's not something that just makes their heart beat faster, you know, gets the juices flowing. If they're not really into Jesus, it's because they're into something else. It's okay to have, you know, hobbies. It's okay to, to have pastimes. It's okay, uh, you know, to have various interests. That, that's all fine and well. I'm not suggesting that you have to go to church 24-7, that you just have to pray and read your Bible 24-7. No one is telling you to do that. But it's a matter of the heart. How come some people, if you talk about their hobby, boy, their eyes light up. You know, they get excited. Why is it in Nagaland if you talk about politics? Oh, boy, suddenly, you know, we, everybody has something to say. You know, they, 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 they can talk about that for hours, hours and hours. And then when you talk about the Bible, they yawn. Not you people. I'm talking about the people in the balcony who aren't here today. They, 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 their eyes glaze over. Uh -huh. that's, that's not the way it should be, right? Amen? And it's usually because we have lost our appetite for the Lord because it's been spoiled by the world, right? When you were a kid, I don't know if this ever happened to you, your, your mother, maybe she made dinner, and then you were chewing on sweets and, you know, things like that, and then I'm not hungry. And she's like, what? I've been slaving in this kitchen all afternoon. Pop, you're going to eat this. You know. Well, you know, we've spoiled our appetite on spiritual junk food. And we, if we don't have a hunger for the things of God, that, that's a sign that something's not right with us. It's not the way it should be. Amen? And so if we don't have that hunger for God, I think it's clear that, and all these things shall be added to you, that won't happen either. So don't get angry at God. There's a condition to this promise. Amen? Now, am I in the Presbyterian church tonight? Or is this the Methodist church? Or the frozen chosen? Amen? Thank you. In the Old Testament, the word seek very often was synonymous with worship. The word seek in the Old Testament almost always implies the idea of worshiping God. See, notice this scripture, Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You can read about David's life. This is David talking by the Spirit. The giant slayer, the, the anointed king, the, the shepherd, the psalmist. You can, you can read about him and you can even want to emulate him, maybe be encouraged and inspired, but this is his heart. This is, this is what makes David, David. This is why God himself said, this is a man after my own heart. In other words, if you want to have all these things added to you, you have to be a man after God's own heart. It's getting so quiet, I'm going to let the sound booth give every one of you a microphone. You can have my microphone. <laughs> Amen. Now, most people, notice he said, one thing have I asked of the Lord. Most people would ask God for a thousand things. You know, if the Lord spoke to you and said, all right, give me your list. What is it you want? I mean, many of us, we would have, you know, easily 36 things on our list. Right? Some of you would say, number one, husband. You know, they would, you would have a, <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, most Christians, what do you want? Money. That's the first thing. We, could, we would have a whole on, endless list of things, but David said there's just one thing. There's just one thing I want. 
That's interesting. To be with you, O Lord. And notice he said he wanted to stay in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Meanwhile, we know some Christians who can't come to church even four times a month. Amen, that's good preaching. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. And notice he said this, the phrase, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Notice he didn't say to gaze upon the beauty of my girlfriend. <laughs> to showcase my talents. Uh, to show off my new dress. Huh? That expression, to gaze upon the beauty, gaze at the beauty of the Lord, it refers to experiencing or entering into God's glory. The meaning the manifested presence of the Lord. And the Hebrew word, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, okay? And the Hebrew word for beauty also means kindness and grace. Which is interesting, by the way, that those two words be connected, beauty, kindness, and grace. So maybe what we call beauty is not what God calls beauty. Kindness and grace. So when Moses was on Mount Sinai, at one point he said to the Lord, show me your glory. That would be the manifested presence of God, you see. In Exodus 33, verse 19, God answered Moses and said this. He said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. You see, in the presence of God, you will find all his goodness. In the presence of God, you will find all of his favors, all of his blessing, all that you need or required. There is a place in God where every need is met. Some people think if they can only move to a foreign country, then their problems will be solved. Others think if I can just meet the right people, I'll have it made. But there is a place where things come together, where dreams become realities, where destinies are set and fulfilled, where blessings flow. And I can assure you it's not over there or over here. It's in God. It's in his presence. David knew that. Amen. And it's interesting, think about this, to inquire in his temple, to inquire. And the word inquire, you know what that means. It means to ask, to ask for information. See, you and I, we have a lot of unanswered questions, don't you? What about this, Lord? What is your plan? Should I do this? Should I do that? How did that happen? Why did this happen? We have a lot of unanswered questions, and there are a lot of things that will not be answered at the information booth. What I mean is nobody can give you the answer. All the time I have people come to me, and they'll say things like, well, you know, I had a dream. What does this mean? Or, or uh, this happened to me. What, what does that mean? See, there is a place where your questions are answered, it's in God's presence. Instead of asking everyone that you meet, you need to press into God because he will reveal these things to you. Because someone else could give you the answer, but how do you know that's the right answer? But if God tells you, you know it. And not only do you have the answer to your question, you know how to get the next question answered too. Amen? So... In other words, David said, I am seeking you because I need to see your glory and I need to hear your voice. Amen? But think about this. When David said these words, there was no temple. See, he said that I, that I may... Notice again, he said... That, that 
to inquire in his temple, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. But when David wrote these words, there was no temple. His son Solomon built the temple. There's no temple. There was a tabernacle. There was a tent. And the Ark of the Covenant was kept in one place and later moved to another place. And besides that, David was not a Levite. He was from, he's from Bethlehem. He was from Judah. So even if there was a temple, he didn't have the permission to go inside. Only the priests could go inside the temple. See, there's something that's bigger than religion. There's something that's bigger than ceremonies and rituals. David was after the reality of God in his life. Amen. Because there's some people that are very religious. You know, they go, to, they go to services, they attend functions, they have prayer meetings, all these things like that. But it, 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 it actually becomes a substitute for the reality of God in their life. I think sometimes some people, their prayer meeting becomes more of a social event. You know, we just all gather together and just sort of just hang out and, you know, and, and, and share our thoughts. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but there's something more. Amen? Now let's go back to Matthew 6.33 again. But seek first the kingdom of God. The Greek word translated seek in this verse is a verb, which you can probably figure that out. A verb is an action word, something you do. So this is not something you think about. This is not something that you appreciate. Uh-huh. Oh, amen. Amen. This is something you do. Right? Mm. And this word is in the present tense. So this is not something that you once did. This is not something that you'll do when you die and go to heaven. This is something you do right now. Seeking. I am seeking him. I am seeking his kingdom. I am seeking his righteousness. And in the Greek language, I know this is a little technical, but I think you'll get it. In the Greek language, this word seek is in the active voice, which means it's something you do. It's not something someone else does for you, right? So like, you know, my wife can cook for me dinner. So that's something she does for me, right? But this is something, seeking God is something my wife can't do for me. Your pastor cannot do it for you. Uh, your best friend, your mother can't do it for you. We, see, a lot of people are always going around, pray for me, 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 pray for me. Some people, when you meet them, how are you doing? Pray for me, you know. What's your name? Pray for me, you know. And the thing is, I, I get the impression that they're trying to get other people to do what they should be doing. Seek first. The implication is you do this. Seek ye first. You do this, not somebody else. See, well, I'm going to let the church do the seeking. I, I sent my wife to the prayer meeting. I'm going I'm I'm to let my family do the seeking. Well, notice, and all these things shall be added to your family. All these things shall be added to your wife, but it won't be added to you because you're not doing it. Amen. And then lastly, this word seek is in what we call, it's a little technical, but I'll explain it. In Greek, the imperative mood. And what that simply means is, it's not merely a statement. You know, the sky is blue, the grass is green. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. You know, if you'd like to seek the Lord, he would appreciate that. No, I am telling you to do this. I, 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 I'm giving you this order, if you will. Do this. Amen. This is something that, you know, must be obeyed. Right? So, again, I know we're not under the law, but if, there's, if we are surrounded by lack, we are embedded in disobedience. We just don't realize it. Amen? And again, people say, well, I don't smoke and I don't drink, and you don't seek either. Hallelujah. I didn't realize it would be so quiet today. 
Uh, maybe I should sing a song right now. I don't know. What are we going to do? Hallelujah. <laughs> I guess you're processing all this. Some of you look like you hate me. Well, praise the Lord. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reading it. <laughs> Psalm 27, verse 8. Psalm 27, verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I don't think God said that only to the psalmist or David or whoever that is. I don't think God only said that to that one person. I think he's saying that to every person here. Seek my face. When he said, you have said, seek my face, does that mean he heard a thundering voice from the sky? Maybe not. Maybe it's just a still, small voice. Something inside of him. I'm sure that's the way it is for most of us. You wake up and there's a thousand and one things to do, right? The, the, the requirements of the day come rushing at you like wild horses. But you have to hold them back because I'm going to seek the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. God is seeking those who seek him. God is seeking those who will seek him. He desires your presence to be in his presence. Hallelujah. And then, again, Matthew 6, 32, we read verse 33, but in verse 32, Jesus said, for the Gentiles seek all the, after all these things. The Gentiles seek after all these things. So he's talking about, don't be worried about you know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and, and that type of thing. And he said, you know, your heavenly Father knows you need these things, and the Gentiles seek after all these things. They're continually seeking the basic necessities of life, food, clothing, etc. And the word seek in verse 32 is basically the same word. It's closely related to the word seek in verse 33, same idea. So, all, all of these things, the Gentiles, and he really means sinners. He means those who don't know God. They're seeking after them. So, how do they seek after them? Does that mean they just wake up in the morning and grab a little basket and go out into the, into the compound like they're looking for, let me just find, you know, my food. Let me just find my clothing. Let me find my, my shelter. No, they, they work. It's real simple, right? It, it's, it's obvious, right? People get up every day and they go to work. They work jobs they don't like. They, they do things they really rather not do. Uh, why? Because they're seeking after those things. They, they go to school and they get the education that will hopefully qualify them for better work. They make applications. They, 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 they seek interviews with different businesses or corporations or whatever have you, you know, looking for a job. Some people... In India, some people even pay a bribe to get the job, right? They're, 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 they'll do what it takes. And then if they, some people start their own business, and they make sacrifices to make that business succeed. They, they wake up early. They stay up late. They, they work hard. Sometimes, you know, I've seen people starting businesses who skipped meals, and they, they cut down on all their expenses because they're, they're investing everything into that business, and, and, they, and they sometimes in certain places they have to drive through thick traffic and, and, or maybe they have to take long train rides and the people on the train are trying to kick you off and, and all this kind of crazy things, you know. And then they come home tired and exhausted, wake up early and do it all over again. Why? Because they need those things. What he's saying is, we should have that same kind of dedication and intensity in seeking the things of God. And let's be honest, we're not there. Amen? Come on, how many Christians, again, I'm, I, I know it's easy for me to say this as a pastor, but it's true. How many Christians wake up on Sunday morning and if it's a little drizzly, they feel led to stay in today? I believe the Holy Spirit would have me just go to Bedside Baptist Church today. 
I'm going to do some horizontal meditation this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many Christians, again, you know, they didn't eat my potato salad at the church potluck supper, so I'm never going back again. Well, people in the world don't say, you know, my boss looked at me funny, so I'm not going back there. No, I have to go back there. We're not, we got bills to pay, baby. We got, we got the electric bill, the rent, the food. We got, we just, well, that customer was a little bit rude to me, so I quit. Well, you're going to be quitting every day of your life because there's a lot of rude people out there. You just have to push through it. Just deal with it. Buck up, little boy. It's time to enter the real world. Well, why don't we have that same kind of dedication, determination when it comes to the things of God? Well, the usher looked at me funny. Look funny at him back. Who cares? Just keep on coming. Well, the pastor said something I didn't like. Come back. I'll say something else you don't like. Just, just don't worry about it. Just keep on going. Amen. Oh, it's too cold in here, too hot, too loud, too quiet. Bleh. When you get to heaven, you'll complain. Too many angels. The street's too shiny. You'll find something to complain about. I thought it would be warmer. Well, we can send you to a place that's warmer. Amen. Second Chronicles 26.5. 2 Chronicles 26.5 says of King Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he was seeking God, God made him prosper. And so that means you could be seeking the things of God, pursuing the things of God, but when you decide to hit the pause button, then there'll be a pause on the prosperity side too. That's why we see people who, you know, maybe they start off with nothing and they're just, they're just so dedicated, so zealous. And they just, you know, every time the doors open, they're here and, 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 and not just here, at home, you know, they're always, they're in the word, they're praying, they do what they have to do. If there's, if there's some service to do, they quickly volunteer and God prospers them, prospers them, prospers them. Then they get to a place where they suddenly slow down and that's okay and, you know... And that's the end. That's as far as they go. They plateau. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Matthew 6.33 tells us not only must we be seekers, we must seek him first. But seek first the kingdom of God. The Greek word for first is proton. And it means first in time. First in place, first in rank, chief, and principal. The key to biblical prosperity is having the right priorities. The key to having biblical prosperity, God supplying your needs, God providing for your necessities, and more so, it requires you to have the right priorities. God comes first. And I'm not, I don't necessarily mean like that, that, that like, you know, like my preaching or my service. I just mean in general, the Lord comes first. Like, you know, eventually, soon the students will graduate. But after you graduate, will God still be first place in your life then? Or is that just something, is this just a phase you're going through for a few months? That's, it's, it should be our our dedicated, committed lifestyle, God comes first. See, you might think, well, you're a pastor. That's why you would say this. I, I, would, I, I did say this and believe this before I was a pastor. And I would do it even if I'm not pastoring. I say this because I'm a believer. Amen. Hallelujah. God always comes first in our lives. What's first in your life? Well, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energies? Where do you spend your resources? That's what's first in your life. What do you think about the most? Wow. Amen? See, Christ is not merely a part of our life. Colossians 3, 4 says Christ is your life. 
See, sometimes say, you hear Christians say things like, well, of course, you know, the Lord is an important part of my life. My faith is an important part of my life. That's how backslidden people talk. He's not a part of your life. Without him, you are nothing. Did you not know that? Without him, you have nothing. You can do nothing. He is my all in all. He is my reason to live. Can I get an amen? amen. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. All things would include you and me. He not only made us, he made us for himself. He made you for himself. The Living Bible says, all were made by Christ for his own use and glory. He made you for his glory. Hallelujah. God doesn't exist to make us happy. We exist to make him happy. He made us for himself. That's why life doesn't work out so well. We're trying to live the wrong way. But when you get the right order, the right perspective, and the right priorities, things start happening. Doors start opening. Favor starts flowing. Blessings start increasing. Hallelujah. Because you have the right order. And see, a lot of people are saying, bless me, bless me, bless me. But until you make this correction, he can't bless you anymore because he would be violating his own word to do so. But when you make an adjustment, and it may be a small adjustment, suddenly, like a jet airliner, you lift off, you take off, and you soar. Can I get an amen? amen. The reason things don't work out for us, the reason we struggle to get ahead in life is that God's not really first. He's somewhere on the list, sure. He may be number 18. He's somewhere on the list, but he's not first. Anything other than God that's first in your life is an idol. It doesn't have to be a statue. It could be your career. It could be your hobby. Anything. It could be another person in your life. He comes first. He's a jealous God. Isn't that right? The Bible says, I'm a jealous God. You know, he... He wants us for himself. Praise the Lord. Oh, it's so quiet today. I, I'm not sure how to interpret this. Greek, Hebrew, Nagamese. I don't know what this means. Hallelujah. Many people serve Christ only when it's convenient. But this makes for a comfortable Christianity, a casual Christianity that produces lukewarm believers. People who are cozy with sin and comfortable with compromise, powerless and without a voice and willing to settle for less than God's best. If you put God first, he'll put you first. I said, if you put God first, he'll put you first. Hallelujah. So um, when I was a student in the university, I had a renewed hunger for the things of God, and, and uh, I lived one year uh, on campus, like in a, like a, kind of like a dormitory that you have, and um, I made a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm actually going to, I'm going to read the New Testament all the way through, which I'd never done before, you know, and I just spent days and days just alone in one little um, meeting room that they had nearby, just reading the Bible and also studying good faith-building books and things like that. And, and, and just hour after hour, I had lots of time. I had a class in the morning and then had on other class late in the afternoon. So I've got all this time with nothing to do. Do you ever consider that, that those big empty spaces in your life where you're bored was a gift from God to seek him? He was giving you time to do it. And so I, just, I, just, uh, I was just reading the Bible and just studying. And I'm telling you that even now as I think about it, many years ago, those were precious times in my life. Very precious times. I know that, that that season of my life was a turning point for me. Because after that, and in fact, during, I should say during that time, God began to speak to me about 
what he wanted me to do, that he called me to the ministry, which was the last thought in my mind. I, I never even dreamed of that, you know. And, and, and he beg God knows the questions you have. He, he knows also the answers you, you must have. And, but you've got to be willing to spend time with him, seeking him. See, Jesus didn't say, seek the things. He said, seek the Lord and the things will follow you. One more example. I've shared this before, so you'll, you'll forgive me, church members, for repeating myself. But um, many years ago, when my children were quite small, we were in America, and, um, and we, were, we, we had gone in the wintertime to stay in my mother's house, and we only had one room. We all, uh, well, really one room that we all occupied, and we had to sleep on the floor and things like that. And, and I was lying in bed, and I was thinking about, you know, the sacrifices that we had to make. There are sacrifices that we often have to make to do the will of God. It does cost us something, you see. And, and I thought of the adjustments and some of the things, the advantages that especially in those days we didn't have here that, of course, things have improved now, but things we didn't have here that we had back in America. And I lay in the bed alone that night and I began to think about my own children and I began to weep and, and I began to think, you know, Maybe my children are going to grow up hating me. Maybe they're going to grow up hating God because they feel like that their parents forced them to live, you know, in another country. You understand what I'm saying? And I was so, I was so heartbroken about that. And I told the Lord, I'm not going to sacrifice my children on the altar of my career. And see, the one thing is this, not to, not to overdo this, but my father was a businessman and he was working all the time. And when I was growing up as a little boy, especially when I was very young, it seemed like he was never there. And there was a distance when I was younger. Later it was better. But when there was a distance, there was a coldness there because he was just never there. And I didn't want that in my own children. And I was concerned about, you know, these type of things. And the Lord spoke to me that night and said, you take care of my kids and I take care of yours. And he's done that. My children are all grown now, and he's done that. They're normal. You know, they, they're not neurotic. They're not psychopaths. They don't hate God. They all go to church. They love the Lord. Hallelujah. And I'm just saying that, that if you seek God first, if you put God first, everything will fall into place. God wasn't telling me to neglect my family. And, and I'm sure I could have done a better job in many of those areas. But I'm telling you that, that if you put the Lord first, it will actually be better for your family. Some people say, well, I'd like to come to this church, but my family doesn't agree. If you would obey the Lord, assuming that's what he wants for you, it would be better for your family. You'd be a better blessing.